Family, how we doing this morning? How's the 1130? Yeah. There's always so much energy in this service. I love it. This is why this is the service that my wife and I love to attend. In the past few weeks, we have just absolutely loved Pastor, Pastor Rashad bringing the word. Come on, have you guys enjoyed Pastor Rashad? Let's go. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, now I know that I'm going to have an amen corner up here. My voice is going, man, because I've been off for about... I think probably six weeks of preaching. Our family's taking a little break, and we've been doing some traveling because we're getting geared up for a really busy season. And if I haven't got a chance to meet you, my name is Davey. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I usually preach here about once a month, but it's been a while. So I'm glad to be back with you guys, and I'm actually going to be doing a two-part series called Pain to Purpose, which is what our family does. It's kind of our, our thing, our, what the ministry we lead outside of teaching here at, at Mercy Road is called Nothing is Wasted. And we help people all over the world in their tragedy, trauma, and major life transitions. We help them to find purpose in their pain. And so much of it comes out of both my wife now and my stories uh, individually. Uh, I went through a, a massive tragedy back in 2015 when my first wife was murdered in our home along with our unborn baby. And, um, and we had a 15-month-old, so overnight, I was faced with losing my best friend, faced with losing um, the love of my life and our, our, our baby that we were expecting and anticipating um, to be able to welcome into this world. And I was also pastoring a church and trying to help the folks in our congregation deal with all of that as well, and now a single dad. And so my life got completely upended. Through that, though, God did some powerful healing work. He led me on an unbelievable healing journey that I could not have orchestrated for myself. And, um, and, and then I met Christy, and there's this beautiful redemption story that happened with this, but her first marriage ended in a painful divorce, and she had a lot of childhood trauma growing up. And so now we have this holy discontent as God's been healing us. We have a holy discontent that the enemy, we, we are sick and tired of the enemy using our trauma, our pain, our tragedy, our adversity, our difficulty circumstances to paralyze us, to neutralize us and our effectiveness for the kingdom. And so we have decided to start an entire ministry to help people get unstuck from their pain and walk into purpose. And so that's what I get to journey with you guys on for the next couple weeks. I'm super excited about this. And so a couple of announcements before we dive into today's message. The first one is this. On July 12th, mark your calendars. We're going to lead a workshop. It's a two-hour event called the Pain to Purpose Workshop right here at Mercy Road. We are, we've done this at churches all over the country. It's incredible what happens. Uh, we had a church out in Virginia. There were about 250 people that showed up for this workshop. Amazing healing. We just did one right down the road at the Blended Church here in Indianapolis. Had 160 people go through this workshop. We're going to use this workshop, this great event. There'll be worship. It'll be just a really... He uh, just a very healing time. We'll dive into some of this pain-to-purpose material a little bit deeper, but we're going to use it as a springboard to launch a pain-to-purpose outpost where we will actually be uh, launching our course, the 12-week pathway that we have this fall after Labor Day. And so if you're interested at all, I'm going to be out at Outpost Central afterwards. If you're interested in going through the course, if you're interested in helping to foster and facilitate discussions at the course, either one of those, come see me afterwards. I'll remind you after this service. The other thing is this. We are releasing July 22nd as a ministry, a devotional, a 42-day devotional. You have this little card on your chair that uh, has a QR code. You can pre-order this devotional right now if you use the code MERCY, it gives you 20% off. So there's usually $25, it's 20 bucks if you use that code, and we'll ship it to you on July 22nd, and it comes with a ton of bonuses, like free bonuses as well if you pre-order it but you have to order it before July 22nd. This is the, the devotional that I wish I had had when I walked through my tragedy. 
And so I, I wrote one. So it's like, I just want to help people with this. So I'd love for you to journey on that with us as well. Okay, we ready to dive into God's word? We ready for this? Okay, I need you to turn to John chapter five. John chapter five. Uh, we'll be there in just a second. If you have a real Bible, you can flip there. If you want to follow on the Sky Bible, it's right behind me. And we will dive right in. But uh, I, I haven't been here in a while, so I want to show you the most recent picture of my family. We just took this when we were down in Orlando. This right here is my family. Beautiful family, right? Um, it's a little embarrassing because I'm wearing the same exact outfit. <clears throat> I didn't realize that until they threw the picture up. I'm like, okay, hey, I do have more clothes than this. But this is Christy, my wife. She is holding our youngest, who's 19 months, Cohen. And then Natalia is in the middle, and Weston is over on uh, my side. Now, most normal families... Whatever that means nowadays, right? Most normal nuclear families, we are a blended family, so we got grafted together, so we're not necessarily normal, but most normal families, the personalities of their kids follow a birth order succession usually, right? So you have like the firstborn that is usually the really headstrong leader that's type A, that's usually organized and responsible, usually very stubborn, like a, like a dog with a bone in its mouth that won't let go. That's the firstborn usually. The secondborn is, is usually one of two things. They're either very helpful and compliant and supportive and they just go with the flow or they're extremely rebellious, okay? I mean, you know, if you were second born, you're like, yep, that's me. Okay, don't raise your hands. All right, and then the third born is a wild card. It's a toss up. You really don't know, okay? I would have thought our third born was gonna be like, oh, just kind of go, go, just fall in line with the kids, learn how to do everything. Our third born is the Tasmanian devil, all right? But he's like, he will, he will melt your heart at one moment and then he will melt your face the next moment. You know what I mean? Just completely flips on you. Okay, but here's the thing about our family. Our family, we have three firstborns. Because Natalia came from Christie's previous marriage, Weston from my previous marriage, both firstborns, and then Cohen's our firstborn. So we have not a normal birth order. We have stubborn, more stubborn, and most stubborn. <laughs> so you know how to pray for us. And I'm learning this with my kids because they don't like change. Anybody here like change? No. <laughs> I don't like change either. We all have this resistance to change. And I was trying to get Weston a few years ago to change from this tricycle to an actual bike with training wheels. And I was so excited, man. I went to Walmart. And I'm like, we're going to reveal this to him on his birthday. And it was like a Batman bike. And I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I had these grandiose dreams of taking a walk with him while he's on his new bike and going all the way to the end of the neighborhood because he can't go to the into the neighborhood with, with this bike. We live in a cul-de-sac. So he just would spin circles in our cul-de-sac. And he thought that was the best thing ever. But I'm like, oh, but you have no idea the potential of what lies ahead of you, young man, young Padawan. I'm like, let's go. Let's go to the, let's go to the playground at the end. So we're going to get on this bike. And so we come out on this birthday. We reveal this bike. And everybody's like, whoa. And he goes, oh, it's Batman. It's amazing. He jumps up, gets on the bike, starts to mount it. And as soon as he starts feeling it's a little shaky, he goes, deer in the headlights. And then, now listen, Weston is super even keeled, like very, almost like melancholy a little bit, just kind of like, and just go with the flow. I have never seen him melt down the way that he melted down right there on that bike. <gasps> and I'm like, oh, dude, what in the world? What demon just possessed you just now? What happened? And he's like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm like, no, 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 buddy. You don't understand. I know it's going to be difficult right now. I know it's uncomfortable right now, but but imagine what we get to do. I start to try to paint this picture for him. He's like, no, 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 I can't do it, I can't do it. He tells me, he goes, I wanna ride that bike. And I'm like, come on, dude. So I give it a couple days. I'm like, well, maybe he'll get out there on the bike and he'll just kind of get to know it every single day. He was out on his tricycle. And I'm going, ah. And then one day he goes, daddy, I wanna ride this bike to the playground. And I'm like, oh, maybe in my 
brilliantin, brilliant parenting. I'm like, maybe I'll teach him a lesson. Let's go all the way to the playground on this bike and let's see how far he gets, right? So we start going down the street. The first part of our street is downhill. We take a left turn. The next part of our street is downhill, but then we inevitably hit an uphill. And Weston's on this bike <clears throat> trying to get up. I don't know if you've ever been on one of these bikes before. I don't know if you've been 35 years old and been on one of these bikes before, but it's really difficult to get uphill. And sure enough, about 10 feet up this hill, he loses his mind. And I'm like, it's working. My parenting skills right now, I'm teaching him a lesson. And he looks at me and I'm expecting him to go, Father, I am so sorry. I repent of my stubbornness. Can I go try, will you train me on how to get on this bike? No, he looks at me and goes, you carry it to the playground. What has God in? No, I'm not carrying this to the playground. And so I'm a gracious father, and I decided we would compromise. You know what I did? <clears throat> I carried it to the playground. <laughs> I'm not proud of it, okay? <laughs> but here's the, here's the point. The point is, is that this bike served him for a season, but if he was going to get to the place that I wanted him to be, he was not going to be able to stay on this bike. He was going to have to graduate to another bike. And listen to me, as we work with people who are in some kind of pain, what we realize is that people are not able to step into the purpose that God has for them in their pain because they're unwilling to get off this season right here and go on to the next season right here. Because God's got so much vision for your life. He's got so many amazing purposes for your life. He's got dreams and expectations and ideas that far exceed anything you could ask or imagine. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to cause your pain, your trauma, your difficulty to paralyze you and keep you stuck. And as long as you can stay stuck right there, you'll be confined to a cul-de-sac and you'll never reach the playground that God has for you. And that's what we want to address over the next couple of weeks because I'm sick and tired of people getting stuck right here. Now listen, this served him for a season. And can I tell you something? The way you're dealing or that you have dealt with pain, it might have served you for a season, but it's time to step up to the next season. Because if you stay on that same bike, if you stay in that same season, listen to me, that season that served you, you will now serve that season. You will be stuck. Now, the, the passage we're looking at is John chapter five. And it's, it's this guy who has the same dilemma, but it's not a bike, it's a mat. And I wanna read this passage to you. Maybe you can see what I'm talking about. John chapter five, Verse one, it says this, it says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, what, near what gate? Near what gate? The sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. What's it called? Bethesda. And which is surrounded by five covered, how many covered colonnades? Five, okay, I'm just making sure you're with me, okay, because these are all very important things we're gonna unpack in a second. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. How many years? 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? 
Friends, this is the question that every single one of us has to ask ourselves. We have to ask ourselves, do you want to get well? Because as we've worked with people who are in pain, we've realized a few things. One is that pain is the common denominator of life. Every single one of us deals with it. If you haven't dealt with it, you were born yesterday, and you probably had some kind of pain that you didn't realize as you were being born into this world, okay? That's why you were crying when you came out. We've all dealt with it. This is the thing that levels the playing field for every single one of us. It is the great equalizer. We've all experienced heartache, pain, maybe trauma, difficulty. But here's the temptation. The temptation is to diminish your pain because either someone else has diminished your pain or because you don't want to deal with your pain. As we travel and speak and as I share our story all over the country, inevitably this is what will happen. A line will form. People will come and talk to me and they will start to share their story with me. They'll say this, I know I've never gone through what you've gone through or to the level that you've gone through, but, but here's my story. And I always stop them. I say, no, no, no. Don't compare pain. Pain is pain. It hurts. It's like comparing a bite to a bee sting. Just because I haven't experienced what you've experienced, you haven't experienced what I've experienced, we've all experienced pain. There's a guy named Viktor Frankl who was a Holocaust survivor. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. It's an amazing book. But ultimately, he was a psychiatrist, a Jewish psychiatrist that ended up surviving Auschwitz. And afterwards, he wrote this book and he came out with a therapy called Logotherapy. And basically his premise was, he was a contemporary of Freud. Freud's premise was that the chief aim of man is to pursue pleasure or to avoid pain. And Viktor Frankl, who had gone through these horrific things, observed and witnessed these horrific atrocities, said, no, 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 there's a, there's a deeper meaning inside of man. There's a deeper aim for man. And that is that he wants to pursue purpose. And if he can pursue purpose, it can propel him into something else, something that can supersede or, or, or help him existentially rise above this pain. But this is what he said about pain. He compared it to the gas chambers that he witnessed. He said, pain is like gas. No matter what the chamber is that it fills, it always fills the chamber. Did you catch that? No matter what the capacity that it can hold, it will always fill the capacity. This is what heartache and pain does. And this is what we've experienced is that no matter what people are dealing with pain, the question is not if we're going to experience something hard. Even Jesus told us this. He said, in this world, you will have sorrow, but take heart for I've overcome the world. And so what we all have to realize is not, is pain going to come into my life? But what do we do when pain comes into my life? How do I respond to this pain? And what we've noticed is that people either respond on kind of the spectrum of one of two things. They either wallow in their pain, they sit in it, they get stuck in it, they don't know how to move forward in it, or they try to outwork their pain. They try to take things into their own hands. They try to manipulate their own healing. They try to, oh, I got this. I can take care of this. They callous up and they begin to bulldoze their way through it. And and, and what I want to challenge us over the next couple of weeks is not to wallow. Okay, but we do have to weep. You hear me? My counselor told me we got to weep well without wallowing. We've got to lament. We've got to experience the true healing that God is inviting us into by experiencing the emotions and the grief of the pain that we've walked through. We've got to weep well, but we can't wallow. And so, and so we can't work our way. What we have to do is we have to walk. And here's this man by the pools of Bethesda who is, who is confronted with this same dilemma, who has been stuck in his sickness for 38 years. 
confined to the cul-de-sac, sitting on his mat, and Jesus comes up to him. Now, I'm encouraged by the fact that Jesus came up to him. You know why I'm encouraged, encouraged by that? Because here's this man, Jesus, who, man, at age 12, he was already this prolific teacher. The religious leaders of the day, the best orators of the day, were so in awe and they marveled at his ability to understand scripture and teach it. They were like, wow, who is this? He teaches with such authority. He has so much understanding. At 12 years old, so he could have walked through the sheep gate that day and gone directly to the temple and started impressing people with his oration skills. He could have amassed a crowd and a following right there, but he didn't do that. He could have gone and started rubbing shoulders with some of the, the, the political leaders of the day. He could have gone straight to the palace, but he doesn't go to the temple. He doesn't go to the palace. He goes to the pools where there's a bunch of broken people, a bunch of invalids, a bunch of people who are hurting, which tells me this, Jesus cares about your pain and my pain. He doesn't overlook you. You have not been oversighted. He, you have not been forgotten. You have not been neglected. He wants to step into this pain with you. And he marches right up to this man at the pools of Bethesda. Now, I, we don't know, we don't know why this man's at the pool. I mean, we know that he's an invalid. We know that he ultimately he's he's looking for something, but we don't know what got him there. We're not sure if it was something that he did, you know, some kind of mistake that he made, or some, you know, or an accident that happened maybe at work or something that left him paralyzed or we don't know if it was something he was born with, but either way, he is here, and he is essentially, as far as externally, it looks like he is looking for healing. Now, I believe that he went to the right place. I believe that he did. I mean, you could look at this, and maybe, maybe you could interpret it as like he, he wasn't going to the right place. Maybe, maybe you could look at it and say, well, okay, uh, what, what actually is happening here? You saw in verse four, it talks about this angel that came down and stirred up the waters, right? And some scholars believe that that might've been a Ponzi scheme of the leaders of the day, that they were kind of staging some activity there to try to keep people confined in their sickness so that they could keep people at a level of poverty that they weren't able to rise up above this. And so they're constantly looking for and trying to put their hope in something that would overpromise but underdeliver. Did you know that the, whatever the world offers you in your pain will always overpromise but will always underdeliver? Did you know this? So perhaps this could be what this man was doing. Could be. Because we know this is what happens, right? We go and we start seeking and searching and trying to find something that's going to assuage the pain, but it always only assuages the pain temporarily. We, we cope with it. We've got, these, we've got these things that we try to rely on to kind of manage the pain or get through the pain. We've, alcohol or or, or, or drugs, or, or prescription medication, or, 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 or success, or career, or distraction, or Pinterest, or Netflix, or Instagram, or whatever it is, even family, things that are inherently good, we can use as coping mechanisms. But can I promise you something? No matter what you're looking for, for healing, if it's not Jesus, it will always overpromise and underdeliver. Yeah. And so these men and women are sitting by this pool and they're going, and they're expecting, and they're hopeful. Now, I happen to think that he's sitting at the right place. I, that's what I happen to believe. Why? Because what's this place called? Bethesda. Do you know Bethesda means the house of mercy? 
Woo, can I preach this at Mercy Road? Let's go. Aren't you glad that this is a place that is a house of mercy, that it doesn't matter what you have brought in here with you. It doesn't matter your pain, your baggage, your bruises. It doesn't matter how busted up you are. You are accepted here. You belong at Mercy Road before you believe. Come on, Mercy Road. Isn't that true? This is a place where it's okay to not be okay. This is a place where we say it every single week. It's not this museum for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. And we all come to the well to drink because we're all parched and we need refreshment from the only one that can ultimately fulfill us, and that's Jesus. And there's no judgment cast on you because of what you've gone through this past week. There's no judgment cast on you because of what you did last night. There's no condemnation for you if you are in Christ anymore. Your shame doesn't have to hold you down. Come on, this is a house of mercy. But what's tough about that is that when you come into an environment where it's okay to not be okay, it's very tempting to think that it's okay to stay that way. And so what tends to happen is we slip unseen into the audience, and week after week we hear a message, and week after week we experience the tingling of the presence of God, and week after week we come to the right place, but we miss the power because we ultimately miss the person. And week after week we leave from here, and we're still sitting on our mat, stuck. You see, I think this guy came to the right place, but I think he was missing the power. You see, what will happen with pain and trauma is that it will fool us. We, we will begin to create these, uh, this armor that begins to tell us that you, you, can't, you can't let people in. You can't you can't allow people to see. You can't be vulnerable. You can't. And that armor serves us for a season. I mean, pain, tragedy, it sticks us on our butt in the middle of the valley, doesn't it? And we all find ourselves on a mat. We all do. And that mat will serve us for a season. But what happens in trauma, no matter what it is, no matter what you've experienced, is when you, if you leave trauma unaddressed, if you leave it, if you leave it unhealed, you ultimately, it affects everybody and everything that you're interacting with. It comes out sideways. It begins oozing out of you. And so you're like, well, why did I just have that angry reaction? I don't know what's going on. Well, I don't, why did I just snap at that person? Why did I just do this? Because there, there might be some pain that's lying dormant right there that's festering and rotting, and it's, it's coming out sideways. Now, that, that thing, that pain, that anger, whatever that is, it served you in the moment that you needed it for survival during that trauma. See, what happens scientifically and biologically in trauma is that in that moment of trauma, when you are unsafe, you go into survival mode, which means the cognitive faculties of your brain, the prefrontal cortex that uses all the, all the rational, reasonable side of you, it shuts down. And you start responding out of the limbic system of your brain. And what the limbic system does is it makes you fight, flee, or freeze, okay? And so that is actually a good thing in the moment of trauma. It's a good thing. This is God's grace of survival right here. What's not good is when years later, 
We are in safe zones, but we're still reacting out of survival mentality. What's not good is when we are continuing to stay on our mat because we've not untangled that trauma, begin to file away properly, and begin to respond out of a healing place, not out of a trauma-filled space. This is what's not good. And this man, for whatever reason, 38 years, on his mat, at the pools of Bethesda. And Jesus comes right up to him and asks him a question. Do you want to be well? This seems like a really ridiculous question, doesn't it? Come on, Jesus, 38 years. Of course I want to be well. Why wouldn't he want to be well? 38 years, of course he wants to. And yet I think Jesus knows something intuitively about this man and about the human condition that we're comfortable where we're at. I mean, we know what this is like. We know what, we know what to expect with this. The longer we're in this, the more we know how to shield ourselves from everything else that would jeopardize this. The longer we bring people around us to support and sustain this. Even though they're not leading us toward anything healthy or good, they're, 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 they're validating this. It's good to feel validated. But there's a massive difference, friends, between being a victim and having a victim mentality. You get it? In a lot of our pain, we are victims. But you don't have to continue to stay in a victim mentality. In fact, Jesus came 2,000 years ago, stepped into our plight, into our pain, went through the most horrific suffering that any of us could imagine, went to the cross, the ultimate victim of all time, the, the, the only person that's ever been innocent. And he dies a murderer's execution. And then three days later, raises from the dead, telling us that nothing can hold each one of us down if we are a believer and have the spirit of Christ inside of us. We don't have to walk in victim mentality. We can walk in victory. But I can tell you, listen to me, I can tell you, within a couple of sentences of interacting with you, whether or not you're walking as a victim or you're walking in victory. We'll get to that in just a second. Why did Jesus ask this question? Why? This seems like a terrible question. Of course, it seems obvious. Now, Jesus, it says that they were going to this place because it was one of the festivals, right? How many festivals were there? Does anybody know? Every year there were Seven festivals total, seven, it's a perfect number. Seven festivals that the Jewish people would observe. Three of those festivals, the Jewish people, no matter where they lived in Israel, would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so Jesus would have gone uh, three times a year with his family to Jerusalem. Now, I just wanna, just imagine this, okay? Just imagine this. I think the reason Jesus knew that this man had a blocker that was blocking his breakthrough. There was something hindering his healing is because year after year, Jesus is seeing this man. So let's say he's five years old and he's coming into Jerusalem, right? And, 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 he's, and he walks by the pools of Bethesda. The first time he remembers walking by, he sees this man, okay? Well, here's what I know about kids. There's some other things that kids do when they get around water, don't they? In there. My kids, they always ask when we walk by any fountain, can I have a penny? Where does that start? I didn't teach them that. I don't know what's going on. Like how in the world? Anyways, they ask for a penny and then they always want to touch the water. Okay. It says an angel came to stir things up. 
a few times a year, I wonder, I just wonder, if Jesus, I can't prove this, I just wonder, five-year-old Jesus walking along, and he walks by the pools, and just like any child would, he just kind of stirs up the water, and Mary's like, don't touch that water, that's dirty water. And the next moment, you hear this man, I'm, I'm healed, it's a miracle, and boom, a superstition starts. Can I ask you something? Do you believe that could be possible? Because scripture tells us that Jesus didn't just have healing in his fingertips. It tells us that Jesus had healing in the hem of his robe. It tells us that Jesus had healing at a word. He could speak and people would be healed. He wouldn't even have to be with the person. He could speak and proximity didn't confine him to being able to heal people. And so Jesus has the authority and the power to do this. And so I just imagine that for years and years and years, three times a year, let's say 25 years from age five to about age 30, 75 times Jesus is walking past this man. And every time he's kind of, whether it was out of childlike playfulness or whether it was out of like, ah, it's not my time yet, but I want to kind of stir up some healing right here. Jesus is trying to stir up healing, but year after year, he's observing this man not doing anything about it. And he goes up to this man and goes, do you want to be healed? Don't miss this. Jesus does not just come to comfort the afflicted. Although he does. Praise God that he does. Praise God that Psalm 23 verse four is so true that in the middle of our valley that he is the good shepherd and that I don't have to fear, he will never leave me alone. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Praise God that he brings a peace that passes all understanding in the middle of heartache and and it guards my heart and mind. Praise God that he is near to the brokenhearted. Praise God that he comforts us and as we comfort others, or expects us to comfort others as we have been comforted. Praise God that he comforts the afflicted, but he doesn't just come to comfort the afflicted. He comes to afflict the comfortable because this mat that's comfortable is not serving you anymore. It may have, but it's not anymore. It's keeping you stuck. And he says, do you want to be well? And the man does what all of us do. He gives him excuses. He says, sir, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now you would have thought, as many years as he's been, as many times as this water has been stirred up, you would have thought he'd been like, hey, Bob, Poncho, come here. I'm just, I'm imagining this like, this is like a Southern, you know, kind of, come on, let's go, let's get down, help me out, throw me in the pool. You know what I mean? from Southern Indiana, you know? You would think that he would have strategized some kind of method for, like, I, I see this as, I want anything that I can do. But, but perhaps he started thinking about the cost of, of change might have been a little bit too much. Maybe he started thinking, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can, I don't really know. I know what this is, I know what to expect here, but I don't know if I, if I get healed, maybe I'll have to go get a job. And I don't know if I can get a job. I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'll fail. You know, maybe, maybe being healed, maybe this is too expensive. I don't know if I can afford this. I don't know if, what will they think? What will they say? How will people respond? What can I, can I really? And, and all of a sudden, these excuses begin to creep into his life. And whether they're excuses because of some deep 
insecurity that's going on inside of him or whether they're excuses because he has just grown apathetic. I don't know, but he tells Jesus, the only man that can actually heal him, why he can't be healed. And how many times do we do this? Jesus, you see my marriage? Just can't. can't there's nothing. It's, it's lost. Jesus, you see, you see my kid. And I wonder if in here, you've just over time, life has eroded away and you've decided to give up. This will always be the case. This is, this is where I'm at. This is what will happen. This is who I am. And then we begin to kind of package it to help us feel better, don't we? We begin to blame our propensities on our personality. We begin to say, well, this is just, this is just who I am. I'm just a direct person. No, you're mean. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. I'm just impatient. I just don't have self-control. Well, can I ask you a question? Do you have the Spirit of God in you? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You know, I'm just, I'm just, Davey, I'm just an anxious, I'm just an anxious person. I'm just an love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. It's not the fruits, plural, like I, I'm really good at this one. I'm working on this one over here. It's the fruit, singular. It is the, the outflowing of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of you. As long as, friends, there's this one thing that happens where you open yourself up to allow Jesus to do his healing and you lift the lid on your limiting beliefs or on your excuses or you step out of the limiting community that is going on around you right now. Do you want to be well? Maybe. Maybe you've just kind of given up. But can I tell you something today? I believe God sent me on an assignment to show you how Jesus walked straight to the sheep gate, straight to this man. And he said one phrase that spoke healing into his life. He told him this, get up. get up. And somehow, when Jesus spoke those words, the synapses fired in this man's brain and the limiting beliefs that he was Lord, that was lording over his life and the voices that were continually accusing him and pushing him down and telling them that he'll never or he always or he won't or he can't, those lifted for a moment and he actually believed it was possible that he could be healed. How do I know he believed it? Because he got up. This is about the time the band needs to come and start playing some Holy Spirit music right now. He got up. He got up. Can I ask you something? Have you given up? Are you willing 
to give it one last shot and get up. Because he's inviting you today. What I love about this passage is this has God's grace and God's mercy all over it. What gate did he go through? The sheep gate. Why was it called the sheep gate? This was the gate that they would bring the sacrificial lambs through. They would bring a sacrificial lamb through this gate. And many scholars believe they washed the lamb before sacrificing it for the sin of the people. Every single year, they'd wash it in the pools of Bethesda, the house of mercy. And then Jesus walks through this gate. Just as John the Baptist said the first time he saw Jesus in all of his glory, he said, behold, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Jesus walks through the gate and he walks right to this man and he goes, I am the sacrifice. There is no sin, whether it's someone else's sin on your life or your sin in your own life, no sin can hold you down anymore because of me. It's in spite of us, friends. It is grace. And grace isn't something that just saves us. It's not something that just, boom, rescues us and now we get to go to heaven. Grace doesn't just get us into heaven, it gets heaven into us. It saves us, it sustains us, it delivers us, it heals us, it empowers us to walk in newness of life. So our pain, our trauma, our heartache, our hurt, it doesn't have to hold us down anymore because Jesus speaks a better word over your life. He just says, get up. He's just looking for one action. That's it. One thing, one response of obedience. One sign that you are just maybe an inkling cracking the door to the work of, of God in your life. And it looks different for everybody. It might mean that to, today's the day you decide to have that conversation. Today's the day you decide to let down that guard. Today's the day you decide to call the counselor. It's so, Davey, it's so expensive. I can't afford it. Listen, you can't afford to sit on your mat anymore because it is affecting every single aspect of your life. You can't afford not to do this. Do you want to walk in healing? Jesus said, get up. And I know it can seem scary. And I know that, man, I'm sure these muscles have atrophied over 38 years, but this man gets up. He can't believe it either. What just happened? But he knows that the feeling of this, it's like immediately he knew this feeling right here far outweighed any feelings of comfort right here because it says he didn't just get up. It says he got up, took up his mat, said, this ain't serving me anymore and I ain't gonna serve it anymore. And he rolls it up and says, I'm taking it with me and I'm gonna discard it or maybe I'll give it away to some other poor fool that doesn't know how to walk in the healing of what Jesus has for him, that chooses to excuse all of his excuses and chooses to walk in a victim. I don't know, I just know I don't want this anymore. I wanna walk in wholeness of life. And Jesus takes the most drastic of interruptions to our life, and he turns them into an invitation. He says, I got something for you. I'm gonna teach you how to walk, because I'm gonna teach you how to run. 
let's go. I got a purpose for you. I got a vision for your life. Do you trust me? I, I don't know. I might be a little too, I might be a little too old. Maybe I just, maybe this is who I am. I might be too young. I don't, you know, trauma hit me at an early age and it's just, it's, it's irreversible I hear when, when it's at an early age I and mean, that's what all the doctors are telling me. Yeah, Jesus, you, yeah, I know, I know Jesus that you spoke a word and you brought things to life out of nothing. I get it, but can you really, can you really? Can you really wield a word? Can your word really sink into me? Can it transform me? Can it do something so catalytic in my life? Can you really? And I just wonder if today, maybe just today, you can dial up that belief that Jesus can heal. But you gotta get up. You gotta get up. You gotta take a step. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about how to get up. We're gonna talk about how to take some steps. You're not gonna be, man, today, it's not gonna, poof, all of a sudden, poof, it just bam. God, God will heal and poof, if, I mean, sometimes. Most of the time, he just invites you into a process. And he says, let's walk, and then let's run. But you gotta get up. So let's do this. I'm way past my time. So I, but I wanna respond, because I just feel like God's doing something right here. And, and so I wanna ask you to, I wanna ask you just very, very tangibly right now, I wanna ask you to get up out of your seat. And we're gonna just we're gonna go to the Father. And today he might have for you a, a, a moment, a catalytic moment that gets impressed into your, your heart right here as we respond. Maybe he wants to meet you and visit you right here where you're at, but you just need to open up your heart to him. Maybe you know the very next step that you gotta take, but you're just so frightened to take that step. And I wanna implore you to trust that he knows the goodness that's on the other side of that. And that's why he's inviting you to take that step. Ask him right now for the courage to take that step. Jesus, we ask that you would give us boldness. You would give us courage. We, we know what we gotta do. We know that we can't sit in this anger any longer. We can't sit in this pain anymore. We can't hold on to this resentment anymore. We can't, this hurt that is, that is bottled up inside of us, we, we wanna put it somewhere. And so right now, can we bring it to your feet, Jesus? And would you just, in your kindness and in your care, would you take it? And would you point us in the right direction? Take our hand and help us up right now, Jesus, as we respond to you. In your name we pray. Amen.